Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. During this time of the coronavirus COVID-19, I decided until further notice to dedicate the Regional Voices radio program to reminders of how we Americans have weathered many hardships before and came through them stronger together. Speaking of which, my guest today is one who provides an essential service. Tom Joyce is the executive director of the Thomas Jefferson Emergency Medical Services Council, which covers the counties of Albemarle, Fluvanna, Green, Louisa, Nelson, and the city of Charlottesville, Planning District 10, and Madison County, Planning District 9, in central Virginia. So, welcome, Tom Joyce. How are you today? I'm great, thank you for having me back again. It's my pleasure. I know we've kind of made it an annual thing, and it's for, well, some essential uh, reasons. How about that? I, yeah, I, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's an unusual time, and it coincides with our annual talk about um, EMS week that celebrates EMS providers. Exactly. And I wonder, and we, I'm going to ask you about that a little later, but uh, let's remind people, first of all, of the mission of EMS, the council. Well, the council is one of 11 councils in the Commonwealth that is codified in Virginia law that is enacted and set up to provide support services to the agencies within these 11 different geographic areas. And our goal is to support and build a robust EMS system within our region. Well, it's been at least a year since we've spoken, so any updates that uh, highlights that... uh, especially those that sort of accentuate the value of uh, EMS and the work you do? Well, I, I think if there was ever a time to where people would realize the benefit of emergency medical services, it's during this present uh, COVID-19 crisis. And uh, we have shown, and as an industry, and certainly the people within our region, um, you know, the ability to be very flexible and be able to provide a service in uh, what is a you know a most challenging time. 
Yes, it is that. I just yesterday uh, spoke with a friend. I had been telling people, quite honestly, I didn't know anyone who had uh, contracted uh, COVID-19 and I felt very fortunate for all my friends. And then yesterday I spoke with someone who indeed has had it and is uh, in the still in the throes of whatever happens after, uh, you know, great fatigue and uh, and other things that were being described to me. And so now I'm I'm one of those people who knows someone who um, has suffered through the coronavirus. It seems successfully. I'm very grateful for that. But uh, it's just that um, it it hits home. I think uh, we've seen. Uh, in very high places in government when one suddenly is confronted with the reality of COVID-19 uh, on your own premises, uh, you pay attention. How's that? There's a great analogy to be drawn between uh, the population's experience of coronavirus and COVID-19 and their experience with EMS in general that really highlights you know, one of the amazing benefits of EMS is just like this virus most people hear about it and know about it but unless they're personally impact with impacted by it or mm -hmm. have to call ems they really don't perceive it as being out there in the community it's not part of their daily life so with these two things we we, we see now um, where people have a maybe a different view when this stuff comes and it impacts their their life or somebody that they know mm. whereas Previously, you know, we all know that Barney EMS exists. We all know that these public services are there. Yes. But rarely, it's a small percentage of the population that ever has to actually interact with them. So they're, they're, a, they're a known thing, but to a great extent, uh, EMS is sort of that, that hidden benefit, that insurance policy that we never really think that much about until we uh, have to use it and have interaction. Exactly, until you need it. And that's a, an excellent analogy. I'm glad you made that because I, it was just a challenge uh, uh, a bit yesterday. I was so shocked when I was given the news that my friend mentioned that she was, she did manage to visit her mother, stayed 20 feet away from her mother, that I was so shocked by the news, it didn't occur to me. I also know her mother extremely well. She's a very good friend. So I just wonder, as you know, Tom, people are afraid to go outside other than go to the grocery store. What do you say to people who uh, could be ill with something that has nothing to do with coronavirus and they're afraid to uh, make a doctor's appointment? Or, I mean, what, what, do you, what do you advise? What do we do? I, I, and I think that that is not an imaginary type scenario. That is actual real life. Mm. And people are experiencing this sort of chronic anxiety of um, how they interact with other people, even people that they know very well. And that does produce a stress. And it does, in some occasions, cause people not to as quickly call for help as they should do. And it's a very good seg segue into a thing that I really did want to talk about mm -hmm. in this particular crisis that we're living in. As you mentioned, you had an elective procedure, and an elective procedure is just exactly that. It can be done at your discretion on your own time frame. You can change or adapt the time frame because no harm is going to come to you if that's not done. Mm -hmm. So do your elective things. But there are things, particularly in the world of EMS, and those are the, the very 
time sensitive and acute problems that people have and there are many of them but the ones we certainly want to concentrate are people that have symptoms of heart attack or stroke so people that are acutely or very short of breath people that have chest pain uh, people that have difficulty moving or coordinating or thinking or speaking mm. those are things that are absolutely not elective they must be known that they are not elective those mm. are time sensitive events the time that you're most at risk is the time between when you experience the symptom or maybe you can't do anything about it maybe somebody else experiences they see it happening in you and the time that you get definitive care and that definitive care happens most generally by varying procedures that go on in the hospital mm -hmm. so your greatest risk and you know, just talk about the elephant in the room, greatest risk is a wonderful expression, but just call it what it is, your greatest risk of death or disability, that's mm. what we're talking about here, yes. is in the time that it takes you to get from the start of your symptoms to having something definitively done to fix it. Yes. In the area that we live in now, we do have procedures. We see people all the time that would not have survived had they not had given procedures done to them. They go home and they have a relatively or completely normal existence. Yes. We live in a world where we can do a lot for these heart attack and, and stroke people. And what I would like to emphasize to people is that while we do understand that you have some reticence, you don't want to go to a place to, I mean, it's hospital, that's where sick people are. Yes. That's pretty much a no-brainer. So you don't want to go there worried that you are going to be in a situation where you're around people where you might indeed catch this virus. In these time-sensitive conditions, that's a false economy. Mm -hmm. Even if you do call and your time to treatment is delayed because you did have some reticence and you delayed a little while, your recovery, or in other words, when you go home, how much effect this will have on you, and again, we use, might as well use the real words, disability, mm -hmm. how much disability you will have from this is very much dependent on how long it took to try and fix it. So if you waited an hour or two with a stroke, you may indeed survive it, but you may go home with disability that you might never have had before. And of course, in some of these cases, in the most, you know, in the more severe events, you may miss the window of opportunity for survival. So calling EMS just as quickly as you would ever have done for those particular conditions is appropriate, even in the time of coronavirus. And I, and I think you make the point, and it, uh, it, it's good to hit it as hard as possible, is that because we are so focused now, most of us, on coronavirus, on COVID-19. I mean, it's daily, uh, constant uh, arguments back and forth about what one should do, open the, the city, don't open the city, what about schools, etc. Everyone is dealing with this 24-7. And because our focus is so much there, we forget that, as I had to tell caregivers of my parents, just because they have Alzheimer's, doesn't mean they don't get sore throats or a cold or a tumor or a blood clot. That's right. Life marches on regardless what those other extrinsic factors are. And so we need to call when we have, when we're not feeling well and don't assume it's, well, don't assume what it is. Go to the doctor like you're supposed to to find out. What do you say? 
Yeah, I think so. And we would particularly emphasize on people that are having severe symptoms. Yes. Uh, because those would be the people who should be appropriately using EMS anyway. What we can say, and looking at the data, and of course, you know, we now live in a world of nonstop telephone conferencing and data crunching and data analysis and and model construction, trying to predict the future and what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. But from all that data, there's all sorts of, you know, there's always confusing data when, when you get all this data thrown at you. What we can say, though, is that there's a, across the Commonwealth, there's probably about a 7% decrease in people calling EMS. Now, delving into any of the causes more than that is probably not a reasonable thing to do. But it's certainly the data supports the fact that people are about 7% calling less than they would have done three, four months ago. And what we want to make sure, while we can't, you know, we can't absolutely say the cause of that, what we want to make sure is that it's not the people who have these symptoms of these particularly time-sensitive diseases. We don't want them to be not calling because of their worry about COVID-19. Yes, exactly. EMS is always there, has always been there, will always be there. And one of the amazing things about it is that by its very nature, EMS deals, it's meat and potatoes, it's work every day, deals with situations where something has gone wrong. Mm -hmm. EMS deal with challenges by virtue of what they do. And while this certainly has been a, a, a most unusual challenge for everybody, EMS are dealing with it. They're there, calling EMS is not a safety risk for exposure for you. Right from the very start, all the agencies in our region and all the agencies in every region, frankly, have had very good advice, taken very good counsel, studied all the research, the best medical practices, and those things are all in place. Now, it may mean that the encounter, when an EMS provider shows up at your house, the actual flow of that encounter might be changed a little bit mm. to reflect best practices, and, and those best practices are to protect you. Yes. You will receive great care, just like you would always have, and always have done historically. So there is no reason for you to be worried about calling an ambulance because you think it might potentially pose a risk to you. Well, I guess my question is, and it may have to take us into the next segment as well, but we can start it, and that is, is EMS prepared for months of coronavirus influence, not only regarding the medical profession, but the emotional and mental health of all caregivers and society at large? How do you... So that, that, that is an incredibly relevant you know, observation to make. Yes, as I've alluded to earlier, EMS have been deeply involved in planning and best medical practices and evidence-based practices, both for treatment of the patient and protection of both the providers and the patient. But they also are a group of people who know, like many first responders, that the job they do by definition in and of itself it's incredibly stressful. Mm. And this time is unusually stressful. I mean, it's, it's an event that, well, for your and my lifetime, we haven't seen. So there is work being done, and we are addressing, as, as, a, as a professional group, EMS, 
we are addressing the challenges that we'll have with this continuous state of stress that the people are put on, more so now because of the accelerated uh, stress level that we have. So yes, it is being addressed. We are cognizant of it. And there's a lot of work going on, and daily I see uh, communications going out to the respective you know, agencies within the region from local, state, and federal resources making information aware to them, of making information aware, them aware of information and uh, resources and how, how they can obtain them if they were needed. Excellent. I think we'll take a break on that excellent update of dealing just practically day to day that people were doing this, but, and it involves all of us, the professionals, as well as, well, we're going to talk about training volunteers as well, I'm sure, in the next segment, but let's take a break for right now. We are talking to and learning from Executive Director of the Thomas Jefferson Emergency Medical Services Council, Tom Joyce. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Andy Film Minute. Ask people what they want out of life. The most common answer, to be happy. This core truth has led to billions in profits for the drug companies who seek to control the opposite of happy, depression. Untold resources go into the study of depression, so why is there so little study of happiness? It is just such studies that are explored in the documentary, Happy. This is an entirely entertaining film, and it is also a studiously presented advanced study of our most sought-after emotion. We learn that 50% of a person's penchant for happiness is innate, the chemical makeup that we are born with, and another 10% is our environment. That leaves an incredible 40% which is completely under our own control. We learn that the phrase, money can't buy happiness, is both true and false. It can contribute mightily at the most basic level, but after life's basic needs are met, it can also create a treadmill of want that has the opposite effect. Is that why the richest country on earth is by no means the happiest? So, what is the magic ingredient for achieving lasting happiness? Happy! Amazingly, within our control. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio program. My guest today is the Executive Director of the Thomas Jefferson Emergency Medical Services Council, Tom Joyce, and perhaps one might argue more than, than most of us, emergency medical services are being impacted by our current global, as well as national, uh, state and local health concerns. But as Tom and I have been talking about, all of the other health issues that can happen in a given life in a given day are still happening and it is people uh, like the emergency medical services uh, first responders if you will who are still responding as always efficiently and professionally and courteously and and you know uh, sensitively i think that's the word i'm really looking for but back to tom we talked quite a bit about calling when it's necessary the medical services and the impact on both society and the caregivers and the professional medical staff. It's something that Tom and the council are addressing and everyone's very much aware of. Now, I have a question because one thing I've noticed during this that we are allowed, the insurance companies are allowing us to 
refill our medications ahead of time so that, you know, you're not stuck out there alone and you can't get it. But I wonder, are there shortages of medications? I mean, are we getting any kind of issues like that, that kind of thing? Well, with respect to EMS, we we typically do not deal in uh, regularly prescribed meds. So mm-hmm. that, that would be a relationship between the, the prescriber and the pharmacy who's filling the prescription. Mm-hmm. For us, obviously, EMS does use, use medicines, and we have our own formulary, and we obtain those, um, those medicines uh, through an established relationship with various hospitals. Um, coronavirus and its effects on those meds, frankly, meds are short always. Right. So... Uh, are they more sh- a little bit more short than usual because of the coronavirus? I really don't. I have not heard that that is the case. But we 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 always have, and the the pharmacies always have. Um, there'll be a particular period of time where a given medicine is hard to find. We always find it. It's always available. Um, but you have to be a little inventive in, in in obtaining those medicines. At least the pharmacies do. So medicine shortages as regards patients needing medicines to be given to them for a given problem when they call EMS, no, that is not a factor. There are no medicines, no patients are going to go without the appropriate medicines because they're short. Excellent. I thought that, but I want to ask, I suppose, you know, uh, even more than ever, this pre-hospital care providers are Uh more important than ever, and, and training for emergency medical technicians also more important than ever and it's always been important what what are your thoughts well it is uh, and like we've said you know since we started talking today and on the the few other occasions you and I have talked we we have a combination system in the commonwealth and here uh, our region is no different than the commonwealth you know in general mm-hmm. to where we have combination systems so our EMS is typically delivered by a combination of volunteer providers and career providers. Mm-hmm. That is the, the the model here. It's been that way for a long time. And it has been, you know, enormously successful. But you have to have a feeder, a way of feeding people into these. Um, mm-hmm. we, we can't all go on forever doing this. So there have to be those who exit at the end of their careers and there have to be young folks and new people not necessarily young but new folks shall we say mm-hmm. entering and historically if you've looked at national challenges that we've we've had here in the united states when it comes to the folks who have been perceived by the public to be at the front end of providing service whether that be the military or, or the civilian emergency services uh, it shines a great light on the work that these people do yes. because as we've said before often you don't really understand the impact or the importance of their work in your day-to-day life but in times like this we realize exactly how important EMS has been to the community and continues to be and will be through this crisis when it's over and, and going on as it always has in time but it's a wonderful opportunity if any of your listeners are thinking you know wow, these folks have done a great job. How could I help them? Well, you have two ways of helping them, as we've said this in your previous programs. You can either consider becoming part of the EMS community, undergoing the various levels of training. And there are, you know, it's a a stratified training beginning at uh, EMT and ending at paramedic. You can 
choose which of those tiers you want to belong in. So you would enter at one level and you can progress as you choose. Uh, some people do not want to progress all the way through. They want to stay at some medium level and that's perfectly fine. Some want to go the whole way through, either as a volunteer or they indeed want to make a career of it. Mm. And all the career departments around here are always recruiting. They're always happy to field inquiries, even if you don't end up joining them. You'd be surprised how much information you get if you contact those people. If you have a problem contacting, you can call us here at the office and we're more than happy to refer you and put you in contact with the people that you need in any given area where you live or work. So maybe it's a time to consider that you indeed have a role in this, even though you might not have thought of. And the other thing is that you don't actually have to be providing medical care to people to support these agencies. You see the ambulances on the streets and you see the providers, but there's an entire infrastructure, an enormous infrastructure that is necessary to actually make that vehicle be able to drive down the road mm. and all the things that you need uh, for the support services people are needed for that too so maybe you're not going to be a provider maybe you just don't like the idea of taking care of injured or sick people but you have some expertise maybe you have some finance maybe you have some logistics knowledge that's incredibly valuable to these people so please don't think that being involved with EMS requires you to be the person delivering patient care there's a need on the back end, and that is a very valuable asset for those agencies. So in a time like this, when, when EMS is at the front and it is in the public eye, maybe you could consider that. That's really an excellent point, Tom. Are there going to be EMT classes or other classes online this year? Is that the way it's going to be set up, or what are the thoughts? So, yeah, and I can speak, you know, generally in the, in the region, we there are multiple EMT classes that go on. We here at the council uh, offer what we call a hybrid class. So it is a partially electronic interactive class and a partially in-person class. Now, obviously, because of social distancing and the governor's executive orders, the ability to have a traditional in the classroom with 30 people sitting in a room, that's gone away. Temporarily. Mm -hmm. The wonderful thing about the classes we run here is that didactic classroom portion is done online anyway. So you're doing it at home. Ah. So the only thing that has had to be modified is how you do the in-person, and they're the practical skills that they have to be taught, the psychomotor skills. Uh, so to a large extent, we've been very lucky with the model that we use here because social distancing doesn't affect it because you're at home in your living room or your bedroom or wherever it is you're doing your taking your online section of your class and you're there anyway Excellent. you don't have to worry so it's 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 a wonderful this is one of the times where you see having some flexibility in you know the models that you deliver education it's been wonderful for us because if we were doing only traditional classes where you had to come as a, as a whole cohort into a room that would have ended our classes for the moment and mm. we haven't had to do that which is wonderful we have a class starting here uh, i believe it's very close to full in the 23rd i believe it is and that class will be going ahead now we'll have to make modifications as time comes on goes on for the psychomotor part depending on what the you know the governor's 
executive orders reflect at that time. But it, flexibility is what it's going to require. Yes. The, the rest of the section of the class, the learning, the didactic, isn't going to be affected at all. Excellent. Well, that's good news to hear. I hadn't thought of that, but that makes sense. I mean, even in my business, I do, I've always worked good when it comes to writing and radio anyway, out of my home studio, and that part of my career has not been impacted. But I wonder, speaking of being impacted, how is the current situation impacting the EMS Appreciation Week? You you do that every year. That's usually what we actually uh, talk about the most. Um, what, what are the plans, and has that changed at all? So, no, we have been diligently, uh, uh, the lady here in the office, Kathy Myers, who handles that, has been diligently working on it. Obviously, we're remotely working now, so everything is being done at remote locations. Mm -hmm. But we are going ahead as planned. There are, there are obviously certain things that are affected by it. Some of the gifts and prizes and kind that we give out to EMS folks to show appreciation from the local businesses they'll have to be put off for a little while. Mm -hmm. So gift certificates and whatever you for restaurants and stuff until that is opened up. But nonetheless, you will have it to use it at the time you want. But there are, there are lots of people who have donated tens of thousands of dollars of, you know, valuing kind for their services. And if you don't have any objection, I'd just like to mention a few of them if you don't mind. Oh, please. That was my next question. Go right ahead. Right, so, and we've had, of course, people, you know, there's, people just keep, keep coming back year after year to show their appreciation, because either in principle, they want to support EMS, or they, maybe in the last year, they've had an exposure to EMS, and now they have a, a, a more acute awareness and, and gratitude. Yeah. So Greenberry's Coffee, uh, Rosewood Village, Melissa Dunn, the agent from State Farm, Jubilee Fire uh, Family Chiropractic, the Alzheimer's Association, Golden Corral, the Oakhurst Inn, Aquafloat, and of course the King Family Vineyard are back again this year. So these are all folks that have donated services or products um, that will be made available. Uh, UVA's athletic department, we have a, a giveaway here where they, their football department have very kindly uh, donated an autographed football, and that, that will be something that I'm sure that is hotly contested with all the the, the Wahoo fans in the Fire and EMS service around here. There's only one of them, so I'm sure a lot of people will want to try and get that. Yes. <laughs> well, the, the, you know, this is fascinating because I think it, it kind of, I think you mentioned this maybe during our break, we do come together. We really do in times of great challenge. And I think one uh, analogy you made during the break was after 9-11, many volunteered... To, to serve in any capacity, military or civilian, that they could. And I think in this time of the coronavirus, well, I won't say what I think. Do you think you're seeing that same kind of surge of volunteerism and, and uh, people working together, coming together for the common good? Well, two things there. One is it's a little early to see what the, what the amount of increased volunteerism is until a little bit after, because generally those are statistics you get when you look back. Yes. Can I say that I hope it is, and I encourage it to be? Absolutely. To the other point of people being stronger and gathering together, the EMS community tends to work that way anyway, mm. but some of the challenges that have been presented to it because of the COVID-19 crisis have required people to band together to pool
pool resources, share knowledge and education. And as I said at the very start here, what we do is respond to adverse battle. If you see us, things haven't gone well. So what we do anyway is always responding to things that A, haven't gone well, and B, are extremely dynamic. Yes. So EMS as a group of people through their training and their personalities and the structures that we have through the volunteer rescue squads, the municipal city rescue agencies, they're very, very capable of adapting to challenges. The old expression, adapt and overcome, uh, if there was ever an expression that fits well with a group of people, it's EMS. Excellent. Well, we do have to go, so let's take this time now to let people know how they can get in touch with EMS and with the council and um, be involved in, in whatever way they choose, you know, website, uh, telephone number, e- email address, whatever you care to share with us. Okay, so there is on the Thomas Jefferson Emergency Medical Services Council website, which is TJEMS. Org, there's a wealth of information. You can, you can search through all the given windows in there. They will give you local, state, and federal information. They'll give you also, if you're interested at the moment, you know, different information on coronavirus. You can also call us at the council, which is 434-295-6146. And our staff here are more than happy to direct you to individual agencies in your in your locality that you might be interested in contacting. Uh, we can also give you links to their websites. Any, any, anything that we can do as part of our mission to, to support these folks, we're, we're more than happy to do here. So if you have a problem finding any information yourself, call that number, go to our website. There's also a chat box in there if you want to submit a request to us for information. All you've got to do is enter it in there and it will come immediately to staff here and we'll get right back with you uh, to give you the information that you requested. Excellent. And you know, I know we spoke about the dates of the uh, EMS Appreciation Week, but I'm not certain we said it on air. Could you give us the dates? May 17th through May 23rd, and that is an Appreciation Week across the Commonwealth where the governor um, sets aside that week to recognize the the work and the contribution that EMS people make to everybody here in the Commonwealth and I think particularly this particular year um, they're well deserving of having their week. Is there a different avenue to reach out to the council to find out what they can offer or or to simply offer something to show their appreciation? The The exact same information will get us for any inquiry to do with any topic that you may want. The 434-295-6146 or to go to the council's website, tjems.org. And we're happy to receive inquiries on any given topic from you and help you out the best way we can. Fantastic. Well, Tom, you've given us so much uh As you say, too often we don't think about it until we need it, and I'm so glad that you come on at least once a year and remind us we need to think about it. I'm happy to do it, and just remember, you can never have too many good people, so consider 
contacting your agency or letting us contact on your behalf and in some form or other, either through membership and being involved actively in it or through some support or other, um, consider the opportunity of being part of this group for the next time we have a large crisis and we need you. Excellent. We have been talking to the Executive Director of the Thomas Jefferson Emergency Medical Service Council, Tom Joyce. And as always, it's been incredibly informative, but this year perhaps more than others, although, as Tom says, uh, EMS is out there every day for us. But we certainly need your assistance and your appreciation and, and perhaps your interest in being educated in this field at whatever level you feel comfortable. Thank you so much, Tom Joyce, for being on the show today. And of course, as always, we wish you all the very best. You know, say hello to everyone over there, Kathy and everybody. We're rooting for all of you, okay? All right. Thank you again for highlighting us this year. My pleasure. You take care. Bye now. Goodbye. And now, enjoy Watchfire Music, featuring vocal artist Julia Wade singing Beautiful from her new CD, Sunday Morning. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the for the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Yes, the Lord is greatly to be praised. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty define I'm Marcello Rolando, The Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. It's the lack of testing, stupid. Spotlighting GOP COVID-19 charade. Whether or not White House valet serving meals to our commander-in-chief while testing COVID-19 positive infected Donald Trump, two things are true. Because of Trump's lying to himself as much as he does to us, most of we the people don't have the luxury of being tested. And in 14 days, Donald Trump will still be too sick to be President of the United States. Notwithstanding Bill Barr's DOJ, justice and our Constitution demand that we petition the government for a redress of grievances. For instance, why are agencies like FEMA and CDC specifically created to minimize public devastation in times of natural catastrophe, walking on political eggshells and revising life-saving guidelines instead of ensuring the public's welfare? 
until it is immediately apparent with plans of implementation in place that a glut of farmers cows and milk chickens and eggs potatoes vegetables and pigs is a solution in need of expedited transportation to struggling food banks online college students stay-at-home children women and america's increasing unemployed in the wealthiest nation on earth for some we are all in this together like our president is painfully offensive to all forced to linger in their cars for hours awaiting food to feed their families however we cannot afford to delay until the swamp drains itself or liberal reason balances the extremes of progression and conservative regression nor for the legal replacement of right-wing governors or aging out of ceos who don't care how many gullible constituents or low-wage employees get sick or die from bigger bang for the boss's buck apathetic mindset at factory farms meat packing plants or e-commerce online storefronts camouflaging mass indifference with coronavirus-coated cardboard. When insisting automatic weapons guarantee the freedom to desert pro-life, conservatives' right-to-life edicts, the right to spit on masks of uniformed police, and the liberty to open non-essential businesses during a pandemic, who's benefiting? Who plays the village idiot card to perfection? GOP PAC-paid freelancers? Hedging conservative CEO bets? Or a political pawn reinstating essential pandemic task force because it is so popular? Perhaps the root of all anti-reality evil is Trump's fantasies du jour, layered in the conceit that voters haven't a clue regarding his negligence in providing PPEs and testing. But suppose his McConnell-enabled disregard is an intentional attempt to determine 2020 GOP victories. Why is it that Trump Pence think they can fool some of the people all of the time? What if the right, corporatism's underbelly board members, are the nemesis of inconvenient scientific facts? Why are case and casualty numbers rising in Arizona, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Iowa, Nebraska, South Dakota, Texas, Utah, and Wisconsin? Are elected conservative Republicans really so short-sighted that they are willing to gamble with the lives of Americans who desperately need their employment income, no matter how onerous the work environment was before COVID-19, and now even more dangerous for GOP-dominated states and municipalities, historically more dependent on the tax dollars of America's left-of-center electorate? Are all of us living within America's borders left with only one choice? Placing our faith in reason, in each other, and the better angels of scientific fact, or suffer the consequences of corporatism's Trumpism greed? Who among us still dare to profane love thy neighbor as thyself by denying the connected dots between prison coronavirus deaths and 25-year-old Georgia Jogger's murder? and the connection between the $800,000 deal for Trump's drug deal and Nomi Startup's $5 million grant from Utah's governor, or the connection between Blue Flame Medical's failure to deliver and the GOP, or Arizona Governor's Arizona State University's COVID-19 research reversal and Trump's ultra-conservative FEMA model deflating testing. 
or the connection between Bill Barr's FBI reversal and saving Donald Trump from an election-year pardon of Michael Flynn. Until we evaluate human life not by human income, but by our return on investments in human kindness with a bottom line yielding human decency, our lack of emergency readiness, safe food, clean water, fresh air, affordable health care, protective stockpiles for all caregivers, medical professionals or not, and safe working conditions for all employees, regardless of income bracket, educational level, or color of skin answers that foresee, prevent, and manage emergencies before they decimate life as we know it, will be drowned out by the nonsense of the unknowing, the uncaring, and the profit hoarders of corporatism's control of Congress and the cajoled. Believing in what the second Americans ensconced in most of our Constitution, let us now manifest our exceptional potential challenged by Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. FDR's The Only Thing We Have to Fear is Fear Itself, and JFK's Ask What You Can Do for Your Country. Older men have always sacrificed young adults to other wars, but with coronavirus, the enemy is our complacent lack of preparation, lack of political foresight, and lack of equitable compassion. It is GOP arrogance and the ignorance of those in lockstep with it that's overwhelming American democracy. Perhaps that's why COVID-19 is warning us we must do better. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.